Welcome. This is uh, Father's Day, so it's okay to have a little fun, isn't it? Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you. I was waiting for that permission. Here we go. A man will pay $20 for a $10 item he needs. A woman will pay $10 for a $20 item she doesn't need. Oh, not good. A woman worries about the future until she gets a husband. A man never worries about the future until he gets a wife. A successful man is one who makes more money than his wife can spend. A successful woman is one who can find such a man. (laughs) To be happy with a man, you must understand him a lot and love him a little. To be happy with a woman, you must love her a lot and not try to understand at all. Okay, married men live longer than single men do, but married men are a lot more willing to die. (laughs) Oh, we're not done. Okay. A woman marries a man expecting he will change, but he doesn't. A man marries a woman expecting that she won't change, and she does. A woman has the last word in any argument. Anything a man says after that is the beginning of a new argument. Now, this is the best one. Old ants used to come up to me at weddings, poking me in the ribs and cackling, telling me, you're next. They stopped after I started doing the same thing to them at funerals. All right, we can take a little liberty being fathers today, right? You forgive us. Lucille Ball was the first lady of American comedy. Sometime before her death, she did a remarkable television interview with Merv Griffin, who asked her a very pointed and a serious question. Lucille, you have lived a long life on this earth, and you are a wise person. Uh, What's happened to our country? What's happened to our children? Why are our families falling apart? What's missing? Lucy's startling yet matter-of-fact reply came quickly. Papa's missing. She said things are falling apart because Papa is gone. If Papa were here, he would fix it. Now, Lucy Ball is far better known for her comic performances than for her social insights. But she got it right. For so many of the family problems that beset American culture have at their root dysfunctional fathers. Here we are at Father's Day. By the way, do you all know the origin of Father's Day? I shall make your education complete today. That's if you believe Wikipedia. All right, Father's Day. Father's Day came into being because of Mother's Day. They felt bad that there was no celebration for fathers. So we should thank our mothers for Father's Day. Anyway, the first time it was celebrated was 1908, July 5th, at a church in uh, Fairmont, West Virginia. Dr. Robert Webb had a celebration and a memorial. At the same time, somebody else was doing it somewhere else. And um, it was kind of, there was no organization. It took many years for the holiday to be official, The YWCA was behind it, YMCA was behind it, and um, it was having a hard time getting going because they were making fun of it. 
they said they could understand honoring mothers, but they said Father's Day, that's like just padding the calendar, you know, Grandparents' Day and Professional Secretary's Day, National Clean Your Desk Day, and all this kind of stuff. Finally, in uh, 1913, a bill was introduced in the U.S. Congress. U.S. President Calvin Coolidge supported the idea in 24. A national committee was formed in the 1930s. And then it was finally in 1966 that President Lyndon Johnson issued a proclamation making Father's Day a federal holiday. Now, explain something to me. It's always on a Sunday, isn't it? So what's the deal with the federal holiday? So this goes in one of those you-figure columns. I'd like to share with you some thoughts about fathers. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Page 153 in the Pew Bible, in the New Testament section, if you're using one of those Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to share some scriptural directives for fathers. Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. One day a little girl was carefully following her father as he stepped through a new garden. She stepped exactly where the father stepped. And she said, Daddy, if you don't get any mud on your feet, I won't get any mud on me. There's a lot of truth to that. It really speaks volumes. Think about it for a while. Children need help. They need direction. They need leadership. They want to know the way in which they should go. They want advice. They want an example to follow. They want security, protection, guidance, even though they don't ask for it. But sadly, parents today are so reluctant to push the envelope with the kids, especially when children become teenagers. Parents are reluctant They are hesitant to draw the lines, to lay down the law, to have rules, because they're afraid this might push my child further away. And to make matters worse, psychologists have told us, don't you spank your kids, because it'll hurt them in their personalities, their personas. It might do damage for life for them. My friends, see this thing over here? (laughs) This is called the gluteus maximus. Now, there's a reason why it's called Maximus. That's because, hey, I did research on this, and it was not Wikipedia. This thing here is the largest muscle, the largest gluteal muscle. And you know what? It's a superficial muscle, so it's not going to hurt anything deep if you give it a couple of cracks. Hey, (laughs) I know all about this. Because I grew up in a British boarding school. And you know what happens in a British boarding school? They have caning. And I'll never forget being in the headmaster's office and getting caned. And and he said, Mr. Malvia, give Mr. Mathai six of the best. Six cracks. It was fun having showers with all the guys that night. And we were comparing the stripes. 
But we got good at it. We would pad our back pockets with envelopes and certain materials, and we would know when the caning came, if you got it right, you watched the motion, and as the cane came down, you just skinched just a little, and that made a whole lot of difference. We became good at it. My whole point is this, that we need to remember that the law came first before grace. Let's not forget that. In a fallen world, God did not begin his revelation of himself through a loving son who came to die for sinners. But he began his revelation through the stern demands that were enacted in the Old Testament history. Thousands of years of such regimen were needed before humanity could be capable of properly receiving the greatest gift of all ages. Humanity needed to understand that the grace of God is revealed through law. Men would never understand their need for a savior if they did not first understand their own violation of God's holy laws. The law emphasized strict expectations of righteousness. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, Ephesians 3.24. Children need the same kind of experience. Many children never experience law. They grow up thinking God is negotiable, just like our daddies. They think that God is a buddy whom they can manipulate for their own short-sighted, immature purposes. Just as God the Father came first to humanity with the sternness of the law, earthly fathers must deal with their children first in terms of law. Control comes first. Reasoning comes later as the child develops. Biblically, an absolute standard of behavior is the only context in which a child can learn obedience. We as parents need to have certain standards. We need to have parameters. We need to have a book of reference. We need to know where the lines can be drawn and we need to show to our children this is the parameters. This is what honors God. This is what we're going to operate under. By experiencing law, a child learns to rejoice that his father limits him from being wasted by his own immaturity. Let me share with you an illustration from our own personal lives. Our oldest daughter, oh, by the way, my wife and I just recently moved into a new stage in life. It's called grandparenting. Our oldest daughter had her first child. It's our first grandchild. So now we are grandpa and grandma. You can officially call me now Grandpa Joel, and I will not mind it. It's fun. But our oldest daughter, when she was in high school, uh, she, we uh, sent them to a Christian school, and um, the uh, teacher was a youth pastor, also of the church where the school was, and so they were talking about uh, dating. And uh, we had discussed this with our oldest daughter and our other kids as well, eventually, had them read certain books, and we had laid certain guidelines down. One of the things we had said is, there's no dating in high school. And we said, you can do things in groups. You can bring your friends over. You can have, you know, do that as many number of times. But there's no reason for you to be alone with another kid at that age. 
when you really cannot even trust yourself, and there's no reason for this relationship to become a physical relationship at this point in your life. And so, of course, they didn't agree, but they gradually, with some training, with some spiritual education, and then we, we told them, let's give it a try. And it's hard, you know, when, there's, when their peers are doing something else, and it's hard to stick out and be odd, you know. It's difficult. But whoever said being a Christian was going to be really easy. And so you got to teach children when they're young these things. So anyway, so my daughter, I want you to listen to this, because children will talk to their peers things that are in their hearts before they will tell their parents. A lot of times they won't say anything to their parents. So they had to fill out this survey. And as they were filling out this survey, my daughter had this conversation with one of her best friends. And... uh, and uh, it was about dating, and, and so my daughter told her what some of our parameters were, and et cetera, and she said, wow. She said, you know what? She said, I wish my mom and dad would give me some guidance like that. My daddy tells me, honey, I trust you. I know you won't let us down. I know you won't make mistakes. And you know what she said to my daughter? I don't even trust myself. I love this boy so much, I don't know where this is going. My friends, children need help. They need guidance. And we as parents are obligated by Scripture to help them. The world today is pulling at our kids. And the world is pulling hard. And parents are just barely hanging on. The primary responsibility For proper parenting falls upon the father as leader of the home. The task of the father is to nurture his children, teaching them to obey and love God. In Ephesians chapter 6, if you want to move back there to Ephesians 6, notice the first two words in verse 4. It says, and fathers... Now, the word there can be translated parents as it is in different places of Scripture, but I think he's got it right. Fathers have the responsibility. Children are a serious responsibility. At the very beginning of history, when God created the world, he proclaimed that it is not good for man to be alone. And so through Adam, he instituted the family. Families are the soul of a nation. Listen to what one pastor writes in a recent article that I read. He says, I humbly but firmly submit that the soul of our nation is in crises. In large part because American men have from ignorance and for various and sometimes even subconscious reasons abandoned their God-given role of fatherhood. They have discarded the notion of being responsible for the physical and spiritual well-being of those around them. In fact, over the course of 150 years, from the middle of the 18th century to the end of the 19th century, American men walked out on their God-given responsibility for moral and spiritual leadership in the homes, schools, and Sunday schools of this country. The groundwork for the 20th century fatherless home was set. By the end of the 19th century, and for the first time, it was socially and morally acceptable for men not to be involved in the families. 
author Marion Levi in Modernization, Latecomers and Survivors, about the disappearance of American fathers, listen to what he says. He says, for the first time in history of humankind, the overwhelming majority of little boys and little girls continued under the direct domination and supervision of ladies until they reached maturity. This has never happened before in history. Most of us have not even noticed this change, nor do we have any idea of its radicality. Lucille Ball, she noticed the change. She said it. Papa is gone. Parenting requires a deep commitment. It requires the kind of commitment that puts children before career. That puts children before social involvement. That puts children before personal pleasure. As fathers, we must constantly evaluate our outside activities and how they affect our children. Fathers are responsible. As we look at the scriptures, I want to share with you four biblical directives for fathers. The very first one is we need to teach our children the word of God. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you would. It's page 137 in the Pew Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6. God has told Moses, this is what I want you to tell the people of Israel. And so Moses is giving God's message and listen to what he says. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now listen very carefully. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise up. What does that mean? That means we as parents need to teach our children the word of God, not just one time during the day or one time during the week or not just at one particular devotional time, but all the time during the day we are looking for those opportunities to point children to a scriptural principle and to the word of God. When they're sitting, when they're lying down, when you go for a walk with them, that's what it means. To the Jews, this was a very important portion of scripture. In fact, they referred to it as the Shema. The Shema is the first Hebrew word in this passage. And it literally means to listen in the sense of obeying. And Israel was to diligently teach the Shema to their children. And as we teach our children, ladies and gentlemen, the word of God, we are instilling in them godly values. And you know what? All this begins in the home. That's what the passage in Deuteronomy is talking about, the home. And a lot of parents today say, oh, well, I send my kids to Sunday school. That'll take care of it. Or they say, you know what? It's getting towards high school. I'm going to put them in Christian school. That'll take care of it. That's not how you fix the problem. The church and the home have to work together. You have to supplement each other. You have to be consistent. 
And it all begins in the home, and it all begins with parents, and it all begins with fathers. When my wife and I talked about getting married, there was a lot of things to talk about. And one of the things we talked about was children. You know, how many children are we going to have, and what's going to be our philosophy of discipline, and... Uh, uh, you know, so we talked, and I said, what was your dad like? And and uh, her dad was a Marine Corps guy, and so he was a leader in the home. I said, well, it's okay. And then, you know, what was your dad like? My dad was in the military as well. Uh, he was a captain in the Army. In the, in, and so, um, you know, we had strong fathers, so we had good examples. We had fathers who took control of the of the house. And so, but then we realized, you know, it doesn't matter uh, what my background is and what your background is, my Indian background, cultural background, and her American background, that doesn't matter. I said, we're going to raise them up according to what we learn in the Bible. Because this is transcultural. This is transgenerational. You know, ABC News is talking about, I don't know if you watch the evening news, I hope you are. As a Christian, you should, because you should be interested in things of the world. And there's some terrible things happening in Iran. But anyway, ABC News now has a segment at the end of their newscast. They always close with this and they say, this is the new normal. And you know, so on Friday, the new normal was, how, do, uh, how are women shopping today in this ec- economic situation? And you know what the new normal is? The new normal is that people are not shopping as often as they used to. They go to the grocery store uh, maybe you know, once a month or twice a month instead of once a week, and they're going to warehouses like Sam's Club and buying things in bulk and to cut costs. That's the new normal. But let me tell you, when it comes to raising kids, there is no new normal. There is just one normal in the past, and it's in the future till the Lord returns. And we need to pay attention to this. We need to teach our children the Word of God. That's normal. Not only that, we need to teach them to obey. This is huge. This is one of the largest, one of the biggest, most important areas in in the life of a child is the whole issue of obedience. All other issues are corollaries. A child cannot even be taught to honor his parents unless he's been first taught to obey. So obedience is very important. Due to Adamic sin, obedience does not come naturally to a child. They have to be trained to obey. They have to be trained to obey and respect their parents. Obedience is a command. In the, in the verse that we just read in Ephesians, children obey your parents is a command. In Colossians it says, the, the, the call read earlier, that children obey your parents and this is well-pleasing to the Lord. In Ephesians it says, for this is right. The Greek word there for right is the word dikaios, which from where you also get the idea of righteousness. It is right. It is what is expected. It is well-pleasing. Obedience is important. And here's something very interesting that I came across in my studies. One of the commentators said, you know, when you let a child disobey, and you keep letting a child disobey, you know what you're doing? You are training in disobedience. And when you train in disobedience... And you have a foolish and a disobedient child. The book of, book of Proverbs tells us this is what you have. A grief to his mother. A rebel to his father. A sorrow to his father. A disaster to his father. A disgrace to his parents. A user of his parents. 
That's all from the book of Proverbs, the book that gives us wisdom. Many fathers do not even spend enough time training their children to obey. Here's something interesting. I think it's in Hebrews uh, chapter 5, I don't know, 8 or 9, somewhere in the middle. There's a verse that says, Jesus Christ had to learn obedience through suffering. That's really interesting. Jesus. Jesus had to learn obedience. And he learned it through his suffering. If Jesus, the perfect man, had to learn obedience, how much more do you and I need to learn obedience as parents? And how much more do our children need to learn obedience? Once the issue of obedience is settled, all other things follow. Obedient children will honor their father and mother. That's not going to be hard work for you if your children are obedient. The word for honor in the original text, timao, literally means reverence, to hold in awe. It's the same word used in John's gospel in chapter 4 about honoring God and honoring Jesus Christ. So this means we have to have this attitude of reverence, of honor, and respect to our parents that we have to the Lord. Wow, that's, that's heavy duty. That is serious. We honor our parents like we honor the Lord. And you know what? This is the first commandment with a promise. When God gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel, the first four commandments had no promise attached to them, no particular promise. But this one had a promise. This is the fifth commandment. It's the basis of all human relationships. What was the promise? It had two parts to it. You will live well and you will live long. God tells us if we honor our parents, then we will live well and live long. A child who grows up with respect and obedience to his parents will have a good foundation and have no problems later on in life respecting authority. Not only do we have to do that, we are commanded not to provoke our children to anger. Back at Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Now it's interesting, verse 4 says, to fathers. I think it's because fathers are the head of the household. And also I think it's fathers who provoke their children more than mothers. I don't know. Um, My kids might say that's true. (laughs) But how do we provoke our children? You know, we don't realize this, but there are ways that we provoke our children. Now the kids are going to love this part. I'm probably going to hear some amens on this, but here's how we provoke our children. Favoring one child over another, being overly strict, comparing them with others, pushing them beyond their abilities, being impatient with them, not giving time or listening to them, always complaining and not giving enough encouragement. And maybe there's other things that I haven't thought about. Kids are thinking, man, you know. So fathers and mothers, back off. Don't provoke your kids. Okay? Be careful. Now there's a positive aspect to this command as well. We are commanded not to provoke our children, but we're commanded to do something else. We're commanded to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does that mean? This is what we are commanded to do. Discipline. Discipline has this idea of 
of systematic training for children. The, the Greek word there is paideia, and the, the Greek word for child is pious. So it's, it has to do something with children. It's the systematic training for learning for children. It also has the idea of chastening. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, the word is, is consistently translated as chastening in that chapter when it talks about discipline. So discipline is what you do for the child. It's setting up guidelines. It's training by rules, setting parameters. It's enforcing through rewards and punishments, always in the context of love. And so we are to discipline and instruction. Instruction is the idea of counsel. It's the word nuthesia. You probably heard of nuthetic counseling, which some Christian counselors use. Um, It's the idea of putting in the mind. It's verbal instruction with a view to correction. Counseling. It's the whole idea behind the book of Proverbs, which is basically saying that a wise child will hear and obey the counsel of his father and mother. That's the book of Proverbs. Wisdom. This is admonition. So we as fathers are commanded to discipline and instruction, which correlates to correction and counsel. God intended children to be a joy, and this will only happen if they are raised according to God's principles. And we fathers have the main responsibility for that. Convictions are far more caught than taught. It's more important how you live than what you say to them. Several years ago, there was a a best-selling book. Dr. Thomas Harris was the author. He was a 35-year-old veteran of psychiatric Uh, practice, and he wrote this book, I'm okay, you're okay. And in that, he warns parents against inconsistency. When parents say, don't lie, and then the children happen to hear the parents lying at some, some point, that produces confusion and fear. Inconsistency is one of the worst things for raising kids, and parents struggle with consistency. Our kids got used to consistency because my wife and I determined we were going to work hard at being consistent. We had this system. You know, we liked our kids with us in church. And we would talk with our kids on the way back home about the message. We would discuss, so they had to pay attention. And of course, our kids, my wife and our kids, they sat in the front row. And of course, daddy was preaching. So we had this little thing going. And I told the kids, I said, if you're misbehaving and you're causing attention and you're making noise, etc., you know, I'm going to go like this. Nobody else knew it. We just went like this. And when I went like this, that means this is your first warning. You know? And if I happen to go like this, that means when we got home, you were going to get spanked. The gluteus maximus, you know? Putting the rod of correction to the seat of knowledge. That's what, <laughs> that's what this is. That's how you teach them. That's how they learn. So you won't believe this. Well, I'm not going to tell you which kid, but one, one time I was preaching and I happened to go like this. But we invited a family home with us for lunch that day and so we had company and I forgot all about it. And so would you believe it? This, this child came to me later on about 2.30 in the afternoon and says, Daddy, Daddy, you were supposed to spank me today. Boy, my wife and I did well in consistency, didn't we? I said, my heart was so touched. I said, honey, you've been so honest, I'm going to just let it go. But it won't happen again. (laughs) 
You see, we got to really work at being consistent. As believers, as parents, we need to be certain that what we say and what we do harmonize. Whether you like it or not, you are an example to your children. They constantly are learning from you and watching you. Be a good one. And so, today being Father's Day, and as we honor fathers, as fathers, where do we get our example from? We get our example from godly, from God, for godly fatherhood, God the Father, and also from Jesus Christ. Some of you might say, well, wait a minute, Jesus Christ is not a father. Well, Jesus Christ is a father, because just as Adam was the father of the fallen race, Jesus Christ is the second Adam. And so he's the father of the new race, of those who were born again. In fact, remember in Isaiah 9, 6, when he gives all the titles of, 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 of Jesus, of the child who was going to be born, one of them is what? Everlasting Father. Jesus said in John, John chapter 14, He who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. So the Son of God, the Father, has himself the attributes of fatherhood. In revealing the Father, he, uh, he is the Father of the faithful. He is the perfect expression of fatherhood. He is the progenitor of the new humanity. And so Jesus Christ is both Father and Husband to the family of believers. Ephesians 5, 23 and Hebrews 2, 13. So I urge you fathers, as an application, be diligent in teaching your children towards righteousness. Discipline them with consistency in a biblical manner. Create a positive atmosphere in the home for their spiritual growth and seek to emulate Christ in your fatherhood. Remember, our children are God's messengers to future generations. We have only one chance to work with our kids. And believe me, they don't stay young very long. They grow up fast. So those early formative years are very important. One father summed it up this way. He said, my family's all grown. The kids are all gone. But if I had to do it all over again, this is what I would do. I want you to listen very carefully as we close this morning. This is what he said, what I would do. He said, I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen more even to the youngest child. I would be more honest about my own weaknesses and stop pretending perfection. I would pray differently for my family. Instead of focusing on them, I would focus on me. I would do more things with my children. I would do more encouraging and bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to little things, deeds and words of love and kindness. Finally, if I had to do it all over again, I would share God more intimately with my family. I would use every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day to point them to God. That's great advice. Wouldn't it be amazing if all our homes were Christ-centered and all the fathers stepped up to the plate and took spiritual leadership? The world would notice and the world needs to notice Jesus Christ.
Would you stand with me as we close? Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to read your word, to study it, to see the instruction that it contains for us as parents, as fathers. Lord, I pray for every father that is in this auditorium, including myself. Lord God, give us boldness and courage to step up to the plate and to be leaders in our homes, leaders providing spiritual leadership. Give us wisdom, discernment, knowledge. Oh, Lord God, thank you for making us fathers. Thank you for our wives. Thank you for the mothers who have stepped up and filled the void in so many cases. Bless them. Thank you for our children. We ask your blessing upon them. We pray for those who didn't have the privilege of having a father. Would you be their father and provide for them? Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this one day when we can Focus on us as fathers and focus on fatherhood. And thank you that you are the greatest example and that you will never fail us, but you're always there for us. Lord God, we pray that you will give us your spirit in a fresh way. So as we leave here, we would leave with confidence that we know the father who has a deep love for us, that we know that through his help, We can be the fathers you want us to be. And our children will grow up like they should in honoring and loving you. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Go before us, prepare the way so that when we we can walk in it, we will have your presence. Thank you for your goodness to us. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all and happy Father's Day.